Galatians chapter 3. We're going to begin at verse 6. I'll read the entire passage we're going to consider this morning. It's not terribly long, verses 6, 7, 8, and 9 of Galatians chapter 3. And then we'll go back and take a look at it piece by piece. We read there Galatians 3, 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the nations by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Paul concluded the previous passage that we took a look at with a rhetorical question. That's a question that assumes the answer. You know, like you want to come to dinner, don't you? And it assumes that it's yes. Well, look at verse, six, uh, verse 5 where he says, Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And Paul assumes everybody knows what the answer is, right? What is it? By the works of the law? No, it's by the hearing of faith. And again, it's just an assumption, but everybody knows. Everybody knows that we receive the Spirit, not by personal achievement. God does miracles, not because we earn them or deserve them, but as we trust Him and reach out to God in faith. And so uh, Paul says, yes, we all know that it's by faith that we've experienced these things. Now, Paul has been building a point and hammering it home piece by piece through this letter that the foundation for the Christian walk is our relationship with God by faith alone. Not faith plus what we do with Him or for Him. Not uh, by the works we do for Him alone. But it's by faith alone. And Paul has to bring this up because there were people who had come into the church of the Galatians and who were bringing the idea up that it was based upon our works that we dealt with God. Now, what's very interesting is in the first chapter and in the second chapter, and even in the first five verses of the third chapter, Paul's argument has mostly been based on people's experiences, his own experience. And then in verses 1 through 5 of Galatians chapter 3, he talks about the uh, churches in Galatia and the experience they had with the Lord. And so he really builds it on the basis of experience. But it would be very fair for somebody to come up to Paul and say, now wait a minute, Paul, enough about experience. I want you to talk to me from the Bible. You know, it's fine you had this experience. It's fine we've had this experience. But we all know that the Bible is more important than any one of our own personal experience. So does the Bible teach this business about us being made right before God by faith? And Paul says, I'm glad you brought it up. Let me take you back to one of the most famous men in the entire Bible, Abraham. Now, Abraham's life story is found in the book of Genesis, chapters 12 through 25. And Paul takes one little segment out of the life of Abraham and says here in verse 6, he says, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, the people who were pushing this works-based relationship with God were Christians from a Jewish heritage. And because they were from a Jewish heritage, they really valued the law of Moses and thought that it had to be a foundation for living the Christian life. Now, these people who were of Jewish heritage, who were Christians, they would have really valued Abraham as their spiritual ancestor. 
You say, well, who's your spiritual entity? Oh, Abraham. We're children of Abraham. We're descendants of Abraham. Because not all of them were descendants of Moses, not biologically, but all of them were descendants of Abraham. Abraham was this great man of God, the father of the Jewish people. And so now Paul says, you want to talk about Abraham? I'll talk about Abraham. Abraham, and look at what he says here in verse 6, believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Paul here is quoting from Genesis chapter 15, verse 16, and he's simply showing that righteousness was accounted to Abraham. Why? Because he believed God. It wasn't because he performed some work. It wasn't because he had uh, been obedient under the Mosaic law. You know, the law of Moses wouldn't come along for about 500 years. How could he be accounted righteous for keeping the law of Moses? It hadn't even come around yet. But Paul's saying, you see, this is how Abraham found his right standing before God. He found it by faith. You know, let me just cut down to it and and just kind of pierce through it a very cutting question right now. What I'm saying right now might seem pretty irrelevant to many of you. Honestly speaking, you're saying, listen, Pastor David, I got bills to pay. My marriage is in trouble. I'm worried about my kids. You should go to work with me every day. You know, you, you may as well just be opening a book of systematic theology and talking to me right now. But can I tell you that whether you understand it or not, and maybe you don't this morning, but it's my firm conviction that the most important issue in your life, the foundational issue is, do you have a right standing with God? And I know you're worried about your marriage. I know you're worried about your finances. I know you're worried about your kids and all those other issues. And those are legitimate things to be worried about. But I'm telling you this morning that the foundation of getting those things right begins with getting a right standing with God. Now, you may not be able to see that right now. You may think, you know, I'm attacking the problem the wrong way. No, what I really need is something else. No, where you need to begin is with that right standing with God. Jesus said something, and I want you to remember these words. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. You know what Jesus said in that? He said, you get your priorities straight. You put God first and your relationship with God first, and everything else has a way of falling into place. And so what I'm talking to you about this morning is how to have your relationship with God first in the right way. And it's not going to be on the basis of what you do for him. I know some of you are disappointed. You thought that that's why you came to church this morning. You know, so that God would mark your attendance chart up in heaven. Say, oh, I can bless my child now. Because, you know, look at the attendance. There's so many stars on their attendance chart. You know, and, and look at all this. They, they pray before every meal. Isn't that wonderful? And God's marrying Well, they helped a little old lady across the street the other day. And you, your chart of it, oh, it's all filled with stars. Isn't it beautiful? And you thought that's why God would put you in a right standing form. And what Paul is trying, he's trying to explode that kind of thinking right now. And say, no, take that chart and rip it up. Because you can never put enough stars on that chart to really make you pleasing to God. No, your standing before God is based on what Jesus Christ did for you, and you receive that by faith. Just like Abraham, Abraham worked for God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. No, that's not what it says. Abraham was a really good guy, and God accounted it to him for righteousness. No, what's it say there? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. 
Friends, there's basically two different ways that you can find a right standing before God. You can have an accomplished righteousness. In other words, you accomplish it yourself. Problem is, it's never going to be good enough. Now, you know what really messes us up with that kind of thinking? Is we know that we can accomplish righteousness better than other people, right? We look around and we go, you know, I'm more righteous than these people. You know, look at their lives. Boy, do they need Jesus. And, you know, you think, oh, I can do a lot better than other people. And sometimes that thinking tricks us into thinking that we can do enough on our own. You can't. Think of this picture. There's two people out in a boat in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. They're hundreds and hundreds of miles away from any land, away from any ship. One person in the boat can't swim. Another person in the boat can swim a little bit. And the third person is the Olympic, champ- the Olympic champion swimmer. Now, each one says, okay, let's get out and swim for shore. So the first person who can't swim gets out, boom, they drown right away. Well, sad. Second person gets out, and they can swim for, I don't know, a quarter mile, and then they drown. And then the third one, the Olympic swimmer, oh, they get in the water, and they swim for 50 miles, and then they drown. You know what? They all drowned. And you say, well, one did a lot better than the other. That's right. But they all drowned. Friends, that's how it is when we try to fulfill God's requirements based on this chart that we think of in the sky. It's not going to work that way. You may have a lot more stars on your chart than somebody else, but you can never have enough. You're still going to drown 50 miles away from the boat, better than other people, but not good enough. No, but Abraham shows us the way. We don't need an accomplished righteousness. We need an accounted righteousness, a righteousness that's accounted to us that's credited to us. And so Paul says, this is how it happens. Look at it here. Verse six again, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham's experience shows us that God accounts us as righteous because of what Jesus did for us as we receive it by faith. You know what that word account means? It's a a mathematical term. It means to reckon, to calculate, It means to put something to somebody's account. When you go and deposit your paycheck, they put that money to your account in the checking account, right? They they, they credit it to your account. Well, God says, I'm going to credit the righteousness of Jesus Christ to your account. So there you are. You know, there's your chart and it has all these stars on, you know, the church attendants helping little lady across the street, you know, being nice and all that. There it is, your chart. And you look at, wow, you know, I got a lot of stars up there, but it's not enough. And then God comes to here, I want to give you this chart and account it to you, and it's Jesus' chart. And what do you think Jesus' chart looks like? It's perfect. It's all gold, right? The whole thing is solid. It's one big star. That's what that is. And God says, okay, you can have your own, or you can have Jesus's. But you know what? You can't have both. That's the issue. You can't have both. You can say, okay, I'll take Jesus's, but I still like mine, too. No, one or the other. Which chart is it going to be? What you have to do is you have to say, no, I'm going to forsake my chart and I want God to account Jesus' chart to mine. I want his righteousness reckoned to me. Might I say something? If God accounts Abraham as righteous, then how should Abraham account himself? Righteous, right? I mean, if that's how God sees him, Isn't that how Abraham should see himself? That's his standing before God. And God's accounting is not pretending. It's real accounting. 
God doesn't use some kind of double set of books in heaven. It's real accounting. And God does not account to us a pretended righteousness, but a real righteousness in Jesus Christ. Friends, how should you see yourself before God? Fully accepted. Fully embraced. By faith, not by your own works. You say, but I don't deserve it. Look at my chart. That's right, you don't deserve it. Now you're on the first step to understanding what you need to do to receive it. I'm really glad you came to that understanding. Now say, good, I don't want my chart. Lord, I trust in Jesus, in Jesus alone. And that is the matter here, isn't it? Trust, because look at verse 6 again. It says, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Believed is the critical word there, isn't it? Now please notice something. It doesn't say that Abraham believed in God, as we usually speak of believing in God. Friends, this is so important for us to grab a hold of this morning. What does it mean to believe God? It doesn't just mean to believe that He exists. Isn't that the faith that most people in the United States of America have? When they say, I believe in God, what they mean is they believe He exists. They believe He's there. Maybe they believe He has a book from heaven. And how many times have you had a conversation with somebody and that's what they say? Well, I believe in God. But what they mean is they believe He exists. Friends, the Bible tells us in the book of James chapter 2 that the demons believe that God exists and they tremble because of it. It's no great credit to us that we believe He exists. That's not enough to set this relationship right. No. What we need to set it right is a relationship of Faith and trust in God. That's the idea behind belief. It means that he trusted God. He believed him. He put his weight upon God. There is an illustration that I've probably heard dozens of times in sermons, but I think it's an excellent illustration, so I'll use it again. A a story of a a tightrope walker across Niagara Falls, and there he is, and there's a whole crowd of people who want to watch the tightrope walker, and and there he is, and and he walks across the tightrope, and everybody cheers. And then he goes back to the hey, how many people think I can lead a wheelbarrow across the tightrope? And they go, yeah, we believe it. And so he takes the wheelbarrow across. How many people think that I can carry 150 pounds across in this wheelbarrow across the tightrope? And they go, yay, we believe you can do it. And so he loads it up with sandbags and and he walks it across, 150 pounds. Oh, everybody cheers. And then he says, how many people believe I could do it again? And they say, yay, we believe. And he says, who wants to get in the wheelbarrow? (laughs) Suddenly nobody believes, right? Isn't that the difference? Believing in the existence of something and putting your trust in it. Friends, might I say that this is the critical issue today. And I want to know, are you trusting God? Number one, are you trusting Him for your eternal salvation? I mean, not trusting in what you do. I mean, you might believe a correct set of theological facts, but are you trusting God for your eternal future? Number two, are you trusting Him in your everyday life? Now, can I give you a way to understand this, to to put this in the right kind of category? When you really trust in something, if it were to fall apart, you'd be wrecked, right? You'd fall down. If I'm going to sit on a chair, and trust it, just like you're sitting on the chairs right now, 
You're trusting that chair to hold you up. If that chair were to fail you, you'd fall down. What in your life is so dependent upon God that if he were to fail you, it would fall to pieces? I mean, there has to be something, right? Or is your life pretty much running on autopilot? Where you don't even venture to trust God for much of anything. You don't lean on him for much of anything. God wants our life to be filled with faith so that we will trust him for things that if he doesn't come through, you're ruined. When's the last time you trusted God for something that bold? God, if you don't come through, I don't have a chance. That's the kind of thing God wants to be a regular part of your life. Are you trusting God? Stepping out? Believing Him? Friends, that's faith. Martin Luther said, Faith in God constitutes the highest worship, the prime duty, the first obedience, and the foremost sacrifice. Without faith, God forfeits His glory, wisdom, truth, and mercy in us. The first duty of man is to believe in God and to honor Him with His faith. Faith is truly the height of wisdom and the right kind of righteousness, the only real religion. Faith says to God, I believe what you say. But not just believing it in an intellectual sense, but in a trusting living sense. Paul goes on and he applies it here in verse 7 where he says, therefore, right, that means he's applying what went on before. He goes, therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. The emphasis is clear. Paul's making an important point. Therefore, know. I want to nail this point home, Paul says. He says, only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Not that people have their own little star chart up there in heaven, right? No. Only the people who trust in God and what Jesus has done for them. Since Abraham was made righteous by faith and not by works, Abraham is therefore the father of everyone who believes God, of everybody who's accounted righteous. Isn't this beautiful? God here is saying that it's believing in Jesus Christ that makes us, excuse me, it's believing in Jesus that makes us truly children of God. Children of Abraham. If you understand that, in the days Paul was writing, this would have been a shocking idea for many of the Jewish Christians that he wrote to. Not, not all of them, of course. Paul himself was a Jewish Christian, right? But, but many of the Jewish Christians that Paul would have written to, this would have been a shocking idea because they put a lot of weight in the fact that they were genetically descended from Abraham. They thought, yes, that's my grounds of salvation. That's the ground of salvation I have, that I'm genetically descended from Abraham. Do you understand that this thinking was so prevalent in the days of the Bible that there were some rabbis who taught that Abraham was stationed at the gates of hell, outside of the gates of hell. That's where he stayed in, in, in the world beyond. And you know why he stayed there? So that he could inspect the people who were going into hell just to make sure that none of his genetic descendants went into hell. They thought that was it. If you're a genetic descendant of Abraham through Isaac and Jacob, then you're going to be saved. John the Baptist dealt with the same teaching. He rebuked people who thought this way. Matthew chapter 3, verse 9, John the Baptist said, Do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I say to you that God's able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. But they wrestled that, well, Abraham's our father. That means we're saved. No. 
Now, can I say that this applies very much to our families today? You know, our children are not going to get into heaven on the grandfather clause, right? God has no grandchildren. You have to have God as your father yourself. And parents, that's why we have to be very committed to building faith in our children and cultivating with everything we can a real relationship with God. And I know it's not easy. But parents, your children have to have their own relationship with God. They have to know God as their father and not just trust that because mommy and daddy are saved, well, I must be a Christian too. Now, my friends, the Bible says there's a, a, a protection for children before their age of accountability. They're covered by a believing parent in the home. But that child's going to come to an age of accountability one day. We don't know what that age is. But they need to have their own relationship with Jesus Christ. So what a rebuke this was to the Jewish Christians who tried to bring the Gentiles under the law. Paul says, you want to talk about being children of Abraham? I'll tell you who the real children of Abraham are. They're the ones who relate to God on the basis of faith. Faith is what makes you a real child of Abraham. That's what brings you into this relationship. Follow in Abraham's footsteps. And then what a comfort this was to the Gentile Christians. You know, many of these Gentile Christians regarded as second-class citizens by other people in the church because they had not brought themselves under the law of Moses. They weren't doing those things, the Mosaic law. And now they could know that they had a real important link to Abraham and can consider themselves sons of Abraham. Look at it there in verse 7. Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. So a Jewish Christian in Paul's day reads that and he goes, wait a minute. It's not my genetic relationship with Abraham that's so important. Paul says, that's right. It's your spiritual relationship by faith. And then a Gentile says, you know, I'm not genetically related to Abraham at all. And Paul says, that's okay. You can be related to him by faith. You trust in Jesus and you're the spiritual descendant of Abraham. Very important principle, my friends. We can all be children of Abraham, as it says. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. Sing it up in the children's church. But you know, the song, at least the message of it, should be in our hearts. And I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. And that's what it has to be. You have to be a son or a daughter of Abraham this morning by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I need to make an important point here about how many Christians have taken the principle that I've just talked about the fact that we can be sons and daughters of Abraham by faith in Jesus Christ, how many Christians have taken that in a wrong way and done a lot of damage with it. Sadly, many Christians have taken this glorious truth and misapplied it through the centuries in something called replacement theology. And the idea behind replacement theology is that God is finished with the people of Israel as a nation or as a distinct ethnic group, and that the church spiritually inherits all the promises made to Israel. And you could see why they would take that from this verse, right? They say, well, you know, it doesn't matter if you're genetically descended from Abraham. Who cares? That's of no importance whatsoever before God. What matters is your spiritual relationship to Abraham. Now, it's true that the spiritual relationship to Abraham by faith is much more important than the genetic relationship, right? Do we understand that? 
But it's a mistake to say that the genetic relationship means nothing and that God has no more plan or no more purpose for the people of Israel. He does. And replacement theology has done tremendous damage in the church. It's provided the theological fuel for the fires of horrible persecution of the Jewish people. If Galatians 3.7 were the only verse in the Bible speaking to the issue, there might be a place for saying that the church has completely replaced Israel. But we understand the Bible according to its entire message. And we allow one passage to give light to others. And the Bible makes it very clear, such as in Romans 11.25 and other passages, that God has not finished with Israel as a nation or as a distinct ethnic group. God is still working in Israel and through Israel, and they have a place in his redemptive plan. No, the church has not replaced Israel. No, the church has its place, and Israel has its place. Friends, we all need to come to faith in Jesus Christ. So Abraham has his spiritual sons. Abraham has his genetic sons. Both have a place in God's plan, but how much more important it is to be a spiritual son or daughter of Abraham by faith, right? Now let's take a look here at verses 8 and 9 to conclude this morning where we read, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the nations by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Now I love how Paul starts off verse 8. Did you notice that? He says, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the nations by faith. You know what Paul's doing there? He's making the scriptures as if they were a person. Look at it there in verse 8. The scriptures foresee, the scriptures preach, the scriptures say. To Paul, the Bible was a living, active person in front of him. He's saying, you know, the scripture foresaw this, and it, what? He speaks it as if it's a person. Paul believed that when the scripture speaks, God speaks. And so Paul realized, listen, you know, we're not just talking about experience. Let's see what the Bible says. And here, this is what the scripture says. Look at it here, verse 8. That God would justify the nations by faith, preach the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. You say, well, how does that prove that we can come to God by faith and not by the law? Oh, very simply. Because if you had to come under the law of Moses and be a Jew before you could become a Christian then God wouldn't save the nations, would he? No, he would just save the Jewish people. And the nations would have to become Jews if they wanted to be saved. But it doesn't say that. It says God will save the nations. In other words, the nations can come to God. The Gentiles can come to God as Gentiles, trusting in Jesus Christ. And so the bottom line is right here in verse 9. Look at it with me. He says, so then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Friends, the blessing we receive with believing Abraham is a beautiful blessing. It's not the blessing of fantastic wealth and power, though Abraham was a man of incredible wealth and power. No, it's the blessing of something far more precious The blessing of a right standing with God through faith. Look at it again, verse 9. It's so beautiful. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. This is the blessing. Salvation in Jesus Christ. It's found with believing Abraham. Friends, we need to close here with a very important question. Look at it. It says in verse 9, those who are of faith. Now, are you of faith this morning? 
Now, not just do you have faith, are you of faith? Do you believe God even as Abraham did? I'm not just talking about believing in God. I mean, do you have a relationship of trust and reliance upon God? When God says it, do you believe it? You ever see that bumper sticker? It says, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Now, in a way, I like the thought on that bumper sticker. You know, a good affirmation of faith. But on the other hand, I don't like that bumper sticker. You know why? Because it should say like this. God said it, that settles it, I believe it. Yeah, it doesn't matter if I believe it. The matter's settled because God said it. It's just my place to believe in it. To believe in it. And friends, it is settled. God says, here's how I want you to live. I want you to put me first. I want you to live this life of trust and reliance. And might I say, some of you who are trusting in Jesus Christ for your eternal salvation, I thank God for it, you're not trusting him every day, day to day. You've backed off. You're living safe Christian lives. You don't step out in faith for anything. You're afraid to trust God. You're afraid to go out and put yourself on the line, to step out on that gangplank and say, God, if you don't hold me up, I'm falling. I'm going to trust you for something so bold, so wonderful, so marvelous, that if you don't do it, I'm history. That's the kind of trust God wants you to live in him every day. To Take a risk for him, to lean on him, to rely on him. So friends, do you believe God even as Abraham did? When God says it, do you believe it? Do I live as if I really believe God is true? How about this one? Can others see that I'm trusting God? Oh, I can talk about my trust in God all day long. Can others see it? Can other people see that I trust in God? Well, Friends, that's the questions we need to bring to our life. Because we need to be people of faith, of this vital trusting relationship with God. Now, can I tell you the exciting thing about it is without you maybe even knowing it this morning, God has been building faith in you right now as you listen to me. I guarantee you. Because we've been talking about the scripture, right? Going through it, looking at it piece by piece. And the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God's been building faith in you even as I've been speaking and you've been listening. Save for those few among us who've been sleeping through the time. But we trust that God's give them a blessed rest. Well, friends, God's been building faith in you. Now, you can say, thank you, God, I'm going to go out from these walls and use it. And step out and believe you. Believe you in prayer. Believe you in talking to other people about Jesus Christ. Believe you in going on missions trips. Believe you in stepping out. Believe you in being an instrument in your hand. You put it in me, God, I want to work it out now. God will do that. And I think we should pray and declare our trust in him this morning that he would